Hello and welcome everybody to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Work. Guys, I got a great one today. I am here with Dr. Caroline Mansfield. She does a lot of things that I will uh, talk to you about when she comes onto the podcast. Um, but her main emphasis is in research on the interaction of the, the gut microbiome in health and disease in dogs and cats. And so um, I think she, I think she's fascinating. I think gut microbiome research is fascinating. I am uh, really amazed and awed, as you will hear, about what we are learning about gut health and how gut health interacts with uh, health in the rest of the bodies and how basically every organ system can be tied back in some way, shape or form, probably to, to the microbiome and to gut health. And so anyway, we start talking about cognitive dysfunction and the role that the microbiome plays in that. We start talking about where uh, prevention and treatment of a variety of illnesses might go in the future and what research in gut microbiome looks like in that. If you if you just don't know much about sort of the gut microbiome research and why people are talking about it and why it's becoming a big deal in nutrition and general animal health, this is a great episode. I talked to her a little bit about the wellness industry and all about the noise that's generally around nutrition and things like this and how to kind of separate out what is worth talking about and what is not and try to get our heads straight so that we can be a valuable resource um, when we talk to pet owners. So anyway, it is a sprawling conversation about a topic that I just, I think is incredible. And so I, I you, know, you will hear my wonder and, and excitement when you get in this episode. I hope you'll like it a lot. I just, I have been thinking a lot about this episode since, since we did it. Anyway, uh, that's enough. Let's get in this episode with Dr. Caroline Mansfield. Also, I, uh, I got to say thanks to Purina Institute. Uh, they are making this episode possible ad-free for you guys. And so shout out to them. Let's get into it. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Caroline Mansfield. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Oh, it's uh, it is a pleasure to have you here. Uh, you had to get up really early for this podcast. I really <laughs> appreciate it. Um, you are, for those who don't know, uh, a registered registered specialist in internal medicine. You are a past board member and president of the Australian and New Zealand College of Veterinary Specialists. You are the chief editor for the Australian Veterinary Practitioner. You, uh, I could just keep going and going. You have yeah, over. <laughs> You have, but you have, you have over 90 peer-reviewed publications. My wife is a college professor. I don't know if people know how amazing that is. That, that is an incredible amount of work. You have supervised over 30 graduate students. You have done absolutely incredible things. And so I, I really just, I appreciate you making time to be here. Uh, I, I want to talk with you about nutrition. And Right. There was there was something I was really sort of waxing philosophic about as I was sort of preparing for our, our time together and I was thinking about having you come on and, and stuff like that. And so I've got this idea that we do not look at life and, and especially medicine with the wonder that it deserves. And so I look around at, at our world and uh, I like uh, just just simple concepts like our physiology, our immune system. It it is absolutely astonishing that we have this system that works as as, as well as it does. And 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 I um I think about I just think about so much of the of what we do in medicine, and we just kind of take it as oh yeah, well we have this, and 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 we know that, and we know that the, that the that the body works this way and that way. But I, I really don't think that we just look at life with the wonder that it deserves. And so, you know, you your research really focuses on the interaction of 
the gut microbiome in health and disease in dogs and cats. And so I'm thinking about this idea that the gut microbiome has this role that is so large and sort of ubiquitous through through our body and through health in, in, in dogs and cats, but also in humans. And, and I... I I don't know that people really process what that means. And so, so let me just sort of kind of open up here at a, at a, just a high level paint, paint for me sort of a picture of how you look at the gut microbiome and, and sort of, and it's, it's role, it's role in healthcare in general, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so it's really, I, I guess it's kind of um, interesting that you talk about that, that wonder and that excitement um, about, um, about medicine and, and physiology. Like I just, uh, I feel um, super excited every time I learn something new about the microbiome or the way that it interacts with the body. Um, I think it's an incredibly fascinating area. Um, it's probably like having a whole other organism within an organism. Um, so it has, um, you know, an, an interaction with virtually every organ system um, is affected by the gut. And, and the gut is, um, from an immune perspective, is probably one of the most important um, you know, important interfaces with the environment. Um, the gut is usually where we are exposed to multiple antigens on a daily basis. Um, so the gut microbiome influences that immunity, that immune system. Uh, it influences the way the brain develops um, in, you know, as a child or as a you know, puppy or a kitten, influences behaviour, it influences uh, kidney disease, influences development of uroliths. Like it's just... Um, you know, it's, it's fascinating all of the interactions um, that it potentially has. And probably what's even more fascinating is that, you know, we didn't understand how much was there because we didn't have the technology to identify all of the organisms that were in the gut microbiome until recently. And even now, I still think we're a little bit um, limited in how we understand or basic in how we understand because I think each bacteria has the capacity to have different functions and so there's this kind of redundancy or fail-safe system. So, um, you know, it's not enough just to know what bacteria are there. It's what, what they're doing, whether they have their buddies there to help them or not. Like, it's just, it's just super fascinating. I, I, I completely agree. And I, I appreciate you saying that, you know, that this is fairly, fairly new and coming to light because it, it, it does feel fairly new. I, we did not... We didn't have this sort of insight when I was in veterinary school, and so I'm seeing this sort of research coming out, and I'm 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 trying to get my sort of hands around it, and I'm thinking about it in a lot of different ways. So first is just my basic understanding of the physiology and how this uh, how this affects my patients, but then also we start to get into into therapeutics. We start talking about wellness care, but then and then we also start talking about addressing you know disease states. Um, if you're talking to I don't I don't know just say a doctor who didn't have uh, a robust understanding of this coming out of vet school and has been sort of trying to catch up, how do you help veterinarians, veterinary technicians, nurses? How do you help them think about this microbiome just at a systemic level? Like if they say to you, "This is all really new to me, and I'm trying to get my head around it so I can start to understand and start to talk in, in a way that's helpful for my patients," where do you where do you sort of start? Um, I guess I I kind of. Um, I, I don't know, it's a wax a little bit lyrical. I sort of talk about the fact that the microbiome is it's not equally divided. It's not like good or bad, but to have a really healthy community, just like a healthy human community, um, you need diversity, right? And you need, um, you know, need, uh, you know, the bacteria or the component, the participants in that community are doing different functions. Um, and they're all contributing together to work towards a particular goal. So, 
I guess the things that, um, you know, we need to be thinking about is that when we are talking about nutrition, we can talk about, you know, uh, you know, basic nutritional requirements like protein and carbohydrates and fat and so on. Um, but we also need to be aware that any diet that we feed affects that community, you know. And so if we, um, if we want to enhance a particular function, um, I'm really loath to talk too much about particular bacterial species because I think, um, you know, like I was alluding to before, particular bacterial strains or species will only be effective if other bacterial strains are present um, and they do have a redundancy in their roles. And so I think it's better to think about their, their functionality. And so diet, most diets provide some kind of prebiotics which is kind of like a fertiliser, I guess, to promote um, growth and, and um, diversity um, of that microbiome. Um, and we also have the capacity to influence it positively um, by using prebiotics or what postbiotics, which are probably the new emerging fields. So those are the metabolites that bacteria produce. Um, but we also have the capacity to do it a lot of harm. You know, so uh, I think particularly with the use of antimicrobials um, indiscriminately. Uh, we, you know, we often think, well, we're treating that, you know, we're treating that urinary tract infection or we're treating that ear infection or, um, you know, pyoderma. But we're also, we're not ab doing absolutely no harm to the animal um, and the animal's microbiome when we, when we use those antimicrobials. When, when we disrupt that way, like when we use uh, anti uh, systemic antibiotics, uh, biotic for for uh, cystitis or for uh, you know that's the classic one is you know we better better safe than sorry and so we use we use antibiotics when we have cystitis or or, or even like a pyoderma that we could maybe treat topically and, and we don't talk, talk to me a little bit about the recovery period like how does that how does that manifest clinically like what, what is the fallout that we see so I think that's a that's a, a really good question and I wish there was a really simple answer but there's probably not um, because okay. each individual microbiome is going to respond really quite um, you know quite differently um, and even within an individual their microbiome might respond differently at different times um, I kind of use the analogy of an elastic band right and so if you've got a really healthy fresh new elastic band and you stretch it so you give it some antimicrobial so you disrupt it you give it for a short period of time and then you release it the elastic band is going to go back to normal pretty quickly mm -hmm. But the more that you stretch it or if it's an old elastic band or it's a little bit, you know, a little bit sick, uh, when you stretch it, it just doesn't go back as normal the next time, you know. So it, it is highly individualized. And I, I think we probably don't uh, – we can – a lot of the analysis that's been done, a lot of the studies that have been done, the way that the microbiome has assessed probably doesn't completely answer that question. Um, because it doesn't completely answer the functional capacity. Um, but we know that, for example, metronidazole has impacts for, for a very long time. You know, we're talking, you know, weeks to months um, after it's been discontinued. Um, but again, it's really highly individual. Um, some animals will revert back to normal more quickly and, and some will take longer. I, I think about sort of looking at diets this way and sort of processing what the microbiome means, uh, you know, to, to overall animal health. And we've already got 
people, we've had pet owners for, for decades now who have been very attuned to what their pets are eating. They, they are very interested in the nutrition and what they feed their pets. It's something that pet owners can see. They, they have a feeling of control about what they feed. I can also see this being an area for a lot of confusion. I can see a lot of people, uh, you know, trying to do what's best for their pets and kind of heading off in a sort of misguided directions. Um, let's start to take, take this focus on the microbiome into, into a, a, a sort of a a more sort of practical, clinical, uh, you know, conversation. Uh, how, how do we start to advise pet owners on diet selection and, and what's important? Um, and, and what are the what are the sort of the pitfalls that, that we might fall in or, or areas where we might see pet owners kind of going off in a way that's not productive? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, the part of the problem with well, part of the problem with the microbiome or it's um, I guess the downside for its increasing popularity is that there's a lot of increasing noise around about it and a lot of noise about how to manipulate it. And, um, and that kind of corresponds with, with, I guess, that sort of that whole wellness industry that I think is being um, translated in, into the veterinary or into pet owners. You know, they, sure. um, they take themselves very um, seriously. I think um, we have the advantage with with pet food though is that we can control what what they eat to a certain certain degree um and i i think as long as it's a well-balanced diet i um, mean it's been proven um and the dog is healthy or the cat is healthy there's probably not a lot of benefit in manipulating the microbiome in those animals so um the times i guess when we when we start to think about it are you know, once they've actually developed disease and, and particularly particularly gut disease, that's probably more when we we know that manipulating the microbiome is likely to be effective. Um, and also with some, with you know, there's some emerging things that are happening like with cognitive dysfunction um, in dogs and epilepsy and manipulating the microbiome in those may be beneficial. Um, and I guess also when we think about it, we, you know, with some conditions like hepatic encephalopathy or, you know, liver failure, We've been manipulating the microbiome for, you know, half a century with lactulose, um, but that's we didn't really, we weren't really aware that's why we were doing it, right? You know, so um, I don't know that I've actually answered your question very well, though. Sorry. No, I, th- I, th- I think no, I think you did. I mean, I, I think you knew exactly kind of where I was going. Is you know, the, the wellness industry is definitely spilling over into pet health, and this is when we start talking about gut microbiome. I hear this in the wellness industry all the time of people talking about you know pr- protecting yourself against Alzheimer's. Uh, you know, people who you know um, getting joint health from the supplements that we take and and things like that. And there there are supplements that are hugely valuable and wonderful. And there's a lot that's not, but I think you put your finger right on it when I sort of said, you know, I anticipate the noise of this. I hear a lot, and I don't mean to start start uh you know a controversy about this but there's a lot of people who put forward you know uh raw foods or things like that specifically because they say oh the microbiome is important and and this uh, this is a a more robust way to to you know increase diversity in the microbiome and things like that and and again i I don't i'm not trying to start the raw food not raw food debate (laughs) at all but it's just there's there are a lot of people have strong opinions and so i I think i just want to be I, I appreciate you answering in sort of an even-handed way because that's really what I was looking for is I want to have productive conversations about this and not 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 just sort of jump to conclusions or overstate um, what is available and what pet owners need to look for in their food. So I, I think I think you I think you asked it well. Uh, are there uh, the second part of my question was really sort of how do we how does this go off the rails? Are there areas of misunderstanding that you see uh, where either doctors or pet owners um, 
sort of, uh, I don't know, ha- they take part truths or, or they have sort of uh, common misunderstandings or things that kind of derail these conversations? Um, I think uh, personally, and probably in my experience, not, not so much. I mean, I think I'm, um, you know, privileged that I work in a referral um, population. So uh, normally the, the people are coming to me for, for advice and, and so they usually are quite, um, quite happy to take advice. Um, it's interesting that uh, this, there, there are some people that are very resistant to, um, you know, to some diet, diet regimes. But when mm-hmm. you start talking about manipulating the microbiome and that there are other ways to do that, you know, so we can use prebiotics, we can, we can use fibre, um, we can use probably not so much postbiotics anymore, like at this stage, they're not really developed, but we can use probiotics to a certain extent. Um, I, I find that people are really quite... Um, quite willing to take that on board they're probably not um if they're very set in their ideas about what they want to feed their their animal and and i do come across those people you know they have mm-hmm. really strong um strong beliefs i tend not to try and work against them i tend to try and work with them and um you know just to make sure that the the diet is appropriate for the animal if it's not what else they need to have to make that appropriate or if we can help in any way but I tend to find if I'll alienate them if I tell them they I disagree with them or I think that their diet choice is wrong and you know then you lose them right right so, yeah yeah I think uh, I think we've all kind of had to do that that math at some point and to say is this yeah. is this the hill I want to die on or do I want to continue That's on right. so that we can right. <laughs> we can work on the work on the future you know I yeah um, pick, your, pick your battles <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Talk to me a little bit about where you sort of see this field going. I got to tell you, the um, going back to sort of the statement of wonder I had at the beginning, when we start talking about uh, about about you know the, the microbiome and its impacts on on cognitive dysfunction that's that's magical to me like that is that is so yeah. beyond what we ever used to think and the idea that there's something we can do for for cognitive decline or things like that is 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 amazing where do you see this sort of research going how do you see the science here manifesting out into healthcare into actually treating dogs and cats in the future what's this going to look like so, you know, what I'd love it to look like. Um, so there's a few there's a few things um, in the human field. So there's something that was called like the American Gut Project. It's a bit of a misnomer because they do get samples from around the world. Um, but where they're basically screening, um, you know, screening people um, and, and, you know, looking for, I guess, what's, if there's geographical differences, seasonal differences and so on. And we, we don't really know that that well in dogs yet. Um, partly because of the costs of, you know, of sequencing. So, um, you know, a lot of it has been done with the method called 16S, um, which is um, takes the ribosomal RNA gene that's that's ubiquitous in bacteria, and then it it, um, it amplifies that, and then you get your sequencing data. Um, but it does miss a lot of stuff. Like it's not it doesn't go down to a species level um, and, it, you know, there's just a lot of noise that surrounds 16S. So using different methodologies is really expensive. Um, it's coming down in, in price now, um, so it's probably more, um, more useful, but it's still, it's still expensive. 
So where I would love to see it is I'd love to see similar situations in veterinary medicine where we're actually tracking it. Like we, we, we track cohorts of animals across the world, like um, different breeds. Um, and we then are able to also track their health. Uh, and so we can actually see whether there's um, a preceding marker or a flag or a change in the microbiome that actually precedes the development um, of any clinical disease. And to me, that's where the magic would really happen. Yeah. So if we could, you know, have it as part of our health check and we go, well, hang on, you know, we're seeing this shift in the microbiome and that suggests to me that, um, you know, if we can intervene here, you know, we may prolong or prevent the development of this particular disease. And that's where I think the real magic is going to come. Um, but, you know, that's, that's a long way away because we need to be tracking these animals and we need to be doing all of those and correlating them to the diseases. But... You know, you talked about cognitive dysfunction. One of the cognitive dysfunction, can't talk properly. I'm getting too excited. <laughs> um, one, one of the uh, really interesting things with Alzheimer's disease is they um, have actually shown that changes in the microbiome pr- precede um, any detectable change by one to two years in people. Wow. You know, so I know, like, wow, isn't that amazing? That's- well, think about. I mean, that's a, that 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 is amazing. You know, the, one of the things that we have going for us in veterinary medicine is, you know, our our patients' lifespan are much shorter, which is bad. But uh, the beautiful okay. part is starting to gain that type of uh, of of you know whole lifespan knowledge. We can do it much faster than if you were following cohorts of of people that you know start in their twenties yeah. and, and age into their eighties and nineties. Um, so anyway, that's this is super exciting. If if people want to learn more, do you have favorite resources? Are there places that 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 you would send? You know, um, veterinarians, nurses, uh, even even engaged pet owners. Uh, what, what do you what do you like for for sort of general educational growth in this topic? Yeah. So the problem is that there is so much information coming out, right? So yeah. you know, if you if you put you know bi- microbiome in PubMed, you know, you'll have like you know twenty five thousand hits. So yeah. um, sometimes I think there's almost um, there is almost too much information um there is like a i do find the purina institute center square they've got a lot of um really good resources they've recently had a microbiome forum which i i think it may still be available um you know online and the recording which i i but don't quote me on that um so I, i think that that breaks it down and it also breaks it down quite nicely into sort of um, bite-sized pieces that are good for speaking to clients about particular conditions as well. So I, I think those resources are really good. Um, for more general nutrition, um, uh, I think the the WSAVA, the World Small Animal Veterinary Association, um, has some amazing uh, resources, so nutritional toolkits and diet history forms. They also run some modules um, on nutrition, uh, which are free, uh, which I think are really useful for, for vet techs and, and, you know, new grads to, to do as well. Um, and it, 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 then I guess it kind of depends on, you know, what condition you're, you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, then you kind of go more specific websites. But I think those are probably good places to start. I, I love that. I'll put links to the Purina Institute uh, Center Square in the show notes. If the microbiome microbiome forum is still up, I'll, I'll I'll link to that as well in the notes. And then uh, the WSAVA, uh, I'll definitely link to that. And their nutrition toolkits are are excellent, and and their nutrition modules as well. So I'll put links to all that stuff. Yeah. Um, Caroline, thank you so much for being here. I I okay. thoroughly enjoy talking with you. Um, where where can people find you online if they're interested in you and your and your work and just kind of want to keep up with you? 
Um, so at the moment, I'm I'm working at uh, James Cook University, which is in far north tropical Queensland. So um, JCU Vet is um, probably the best link for that. Um, it's a pretty um, pretty cool place to be. It's just right right near the Barrier Reef, and get to go snorkeling and um, you know and hop 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 off and see some crocodiles. It's it's pretty cool. That's amazing. Oh, man. Thank you so much for making time and being here. I really appreciate you. Guys, thanks for tuning in today, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Thanks for being here. And that's it. That's what I got for you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Thank you so much to uh, Dr. Mansfield. She got up. (laughs) before six o'clock in the morning her time to do this podcast and that was wonderful thanks to purina institute for making this episode possible uh thanks to you guys for being here and uh yeah that's it that's that's all the thanks that's the thank you thanks to me for also being here thanks to my dog skipper who came and sat with me when i did the podcast thanks to my mom and my dad and i'm just gonna fade out i'm just gonna fade out on that and that's where we're gonna end the episode thanks Thanks so much, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Be well. Bye.